I'm looking for similarities in the way troublemakers think. This is Steve St. Clair, co-founder of Trouble Group. Join us as we learn from others who are shaking things up. I grew up in Appalachia, Covington, Virginia, to be precise, in the Allegheny Mountains. And growing up insulated in, in a beautiful place like that was just a blessing from my parents. My father got a lot of job opportunities. I remember at one point he was, they were thinking of going to uh, South Carolina, Charleston, for a much bigger job. And I think my mother prevailed several different times and made us stay. And I'm really glad she did. My kids today, having grown up in New Jersey, love going down there just to see how different it was and all the crazy things I did as a kid, cave exploring, trying to find the other side of this gigantic George Washington forest. It was amazing. My guest today is doing a tremendous amount to help the people of Appalachia to invent new ways to keep that area alive and prosperous because it's new ways that they need. Scott Ewing is Principal Business Analyst with Appalachian Investor Alliance. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Steve. Glad to be here. So let's start with this. Tell me a little bit about your background and the, what I imagine is a bit of a circuitous route to, uh, to get to where you are today. Yeah, um, I, I think it is a little bit of a circuitous route. You know, I think when people talk to people in the financial world, right, they, they kind of expect maybe at the outset a, a particular career path. And, and mine was, was a little bit different. So, um, you know, I, I uh, was for 20 years a Navy pilot, and uh, that, was, uh, that was a great career. I enjoyed that very much, saw interesting things, did interesting things, and, and gained a lot personally and, and felt good serving the country. And then when I, when I got out of the Navy, um, I was at that time, uh, we were about 60 miles south of Washington, D.C. My last assignment was at the Pentagon, and I was commuting about two and a half hours each way every day every day to work, right? So it's five hours of my day. Uh, whether I was carpooling, riding the, uh, the VRE train, didn't really matter. And at near the end of my time, I, there I, I came home to my wife and I said, I, I don't think I can do this for another 20 years, right? So I just can't continue to do this. And, and we, have, uh, we had at that time two, two children. They were still in school. And uh, my parents had recently retired out of Northern Virginia and settled in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. So we knew the area. And uh, one day I came home and said, let's, let's pull chocks and, and uh, move to Knoxville. So beautiful area, just like you, you know, the blessings of being in a great area, a, a reasonably sized metro, a lot of things going for it. And uh, my parents were here. Somebody's got to take care of their, par- their parents as they get older, right? So, right. so uh, we moved family here. And I became a financial advisor. I got my securities licenses and did that for uh, about six years. And then along the, that path, um, I, I had had an opportunity to work with some venture capitalists, first as clients, and then um, found out that they were interested in starting a new kind of company that would look at technologies, say patents, uh, license, and, and for, for licensing coming out of universities, government labs, private labs too. And uh, I was approached with an opportunity to leave the financial service world, the retail world, 
and work specifically in a venture operating company. In fact, help start a venture operating, venture capital operating company. And what we would do was we would look at uh, technologies, assess them. And my background in the Navy with technology and plus my financial background helped put me in the right place for that. Uh, built a small company, did assessments on technologies, and then those technologies that were attractive to us, we licensed, found entrepreneurial teams, and created startups that could become venture capital investing opportunities. And we, we did that model for about three and a half years. It was interesting. We, we got some traction, but ultimately didn't hit our pro forma metrics. We agreed to shut it down. But I stayed employed in the, uh, in the venture and angel world after that. I got uh, asked by another company, a group of angel investors, to help them improve their due diligence and their uh, investment assessment. And uh, ultimately, that led to uh, my working in a nonprofit, actually creating a nonprofit at the behest of, with, with a couple of partners at the behest of the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is a government agency, state and federal partnership that, that looks to, just as it says, you know, invest in Appalachia, uh, whether it's investing in physical infrastructure or it's encouraging capital to invest private capital to break free and invest in Appalachia. They liked what we were doing, organizing angel investors and, and uh, professionalizing them. They asked us, can we do this at scale? Can we, can we go all through Appalachia and speak to perhaps groups of maybe 20 investors, get them to pool their money? Um, the government isn't, isn't doing the funding, right? They're not, they're not doing the investing, but they will pay for some of the administrative costs. They'll subsidize us putting together the angel funds. And then that breaks loose private money to go into Appalachian-oriented deals. And to date, since we started that, and we started that activity as a nonprofit in 2018, uh, we've seen over now $10 million of our investors' private capital go into Appalachian startups. So, And that, that's encouraged other money to come in on top of us. So the multiplier effect is pretty substantial. That's great. I, I want to read a paragraph off the website. The website, by the way, is AppalachianInvestors.org. And here's the part I want to read, because I just love it. The Appalachian region is known for tough, blue-collar people who, for generations, have beaten the odds to overcome unforgiving landscapes and harsh conditions using grit, determination, and ingenuity. As it looks to reinvent for the next chapter of the region, Appalachia is collectively harnessing the power of the entrepreneurial mindset to reimagine the future while paying homage to its rich history. The new Appalachian economy is being built one business and one community at a time, and the Appalachian Investors Alliance is here to act as a catalyst by coming alongside those who are actively working on the front lines of the Appalachian Entrepreneurial Revolution. I I wish I could print, I'm going to print that out and frame it. I think it's perfect. Well, you're part of that, right? Yeah. You grew up here, so that's, that's you. Yeah. My, my grandfather was an Appalachian coal miner, right? And so um, I get it. Yeah. And you see how they did it, how they survived. Grit, determination, absolutely. I love it. So the, and the thing I just want to point out, the reason I read that is you guys wrote this. You have nailed the understanding of the people and the place, in my opinion. Well, I appreciate that. That's kind of you. I think in part... You know, because we are those people, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether I'm living in Tennessee, but 
doing work for the same kind of people in Pennsylvania or in West Virginia or Southeastern Ohio, you know, I think we all have a, a common sense about the place and, and, um, and often kind of a common set of aspirations or dreams about the place. A lot of us, you know, quibble in this society about policies and politics and things like that. But when you strip away a lot of that nonsense, what you're left with, I think, are some pretty basic and common desires for most of all mankind that I'm aware of. Right? You know, we all want we all want a clean environment. We all want a healthy uh, healthy living. We all want our kids to grow up and you know enjoy the benefits that we had. We we want to see prosperity. We we, we want young people to stay in our communities and not have to go somewhere else to find a decent job. You know, we, we, we all want those same things. And so that's, that's really what our alliance, and we, and we structured that, that, that word alliance was chosen very carefully. We have, we have investors in Western New York. We have investors in Northeast Mississippi. We have investors in the mountains of North Carolina. We have investors, you know, uh, around university towns in uh, Ohio, West Virginia, Tennessee, et cetera. But um, they all, even though they may not know each other in, you know, in the active sense, like they probably have only spoken to each other on Zoom calls or on the phone uh, in most cases, we, we set, create a common set of operating procedures, a common set of due diligence standards, a way to share deals and share capital. Because one of the problems in our region, unlike if you were on the West Coast in California or New York, you know, the money centers, uh, there's a concentration of capital in those places that doesn't exist in Appalachia. But that's not the same thing as saying there is no money here. That's that's a wrong statement. There's money, but it's just not in concentration. I wrote an article a little while ago about, and I led into it using the analogy of gold. You know, gold is one of the most common elements on the planet. It's just not found in concentrations of economic value in very many places on the planet. Right. Uh-huh. So, you yeah. have to have it enough of it in one place to make an effect. And they have that in California. We don't always have that in small town Appalachia. But if you can look at a deal from, you know, a county in Appalachia that is off the beaten track, but it's got an interesting entrepreneur with a good idea and, and uh, worth looking at. And if you can pull capital from Mississippi into that deal or Alabama, or you can pull capital from Kentucky into that deal because they may not know locally that entrepreneur, but they trust the Appalachian Investors Alliance to have put together the, the, the right procedures, put together common deal standards, common terms for the deal, common due diligence that they can rely on. Uh, they're willing to pool their money and put their money into that. And same thing is they, they're willing to share those deals out. If there's, a, if there's a good deal coming out of Altoona, Pennsylvania, they're willing to share that deal out to those same people down in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. So uh, sure. that's what the alliance did. And we structured that on the airline alliance idea, right? You, know, you have these, these airlines that got together. They all had their own livery, right? You know, there was different, different paint on the side of the planes. <laughs> they agreed to code share. They agreed to ch- share, you know, route structures and common procedures to make it more efficient. That, that's what we were doing with angel investors in the Appalachian Investors Alliance. Is your target market... It's not limited to those who are in Appalachia, I imagine, right? Or is it? Well, that's a great question. And um, it started out that we were, I said, we were encouraged to form our nonprofit by the 
Appalachian Regional Commission. So the name tells you they want us to work in Appalachia, right? Sure. Uh, But this method that we've had of organizing private capital into what we call micro venture funds, and then having those funds cooperate with one another to share deals, um, that's attractive. And the procedures that we use to kind of bring professional venture capital operating procedures to what in many cases has been an amateurish activity. You know, angel investing has often been viewed as sort of a seat of the pants thing, but we're, we're making it, I think, more professional in the way we approach it. Well, that whole model I just laid out is catching some attention outside of our region. So now we've got clients that contract us to do technical service work for them in Rutgers, New Jersey, or in Minneapolis, oh. Minnesota. So, you know, we're not exclusively working in this region. And at the same right. time, although we were originally an investor-focused organization, right, our services were designed to serve investors, our investors said, hey, we're not seeing enough good deals, but we are seeing deals that could be made better if the entrepreneurs only knew a little more about the way investors look at a deal, right? What's the mind of right. the investor in this? So we've taken the lessons that we know from our investors And now we're sharing them out through education and outreach programs to entrepreneurs. And so we've become entrepreneur-facing at the same time as investor-facing. We're we're pulling back the curtain, telling entrepreneurs, this is what it takes to get an investor interested in you. We want you to do the right things. We we don't want you to try to sell to us or trick us. We're we're telling you what we want. Here's the honest truth. Right. Um, Do these things and you'll have a better company. Do these things and you'll have a better opportunity to receive capital. So we're doing both. Yeah. Are, are you going to carry them th- or work with them through series A and, and onwards? Yeah. So uh, usually we, we, we typically invest at the seed stage like most angel investors, but we do work in at series A. We don't lead series A. Uh, series A would be, you know, the next larger round of capital after a seed stage. So Typically nowadays, a seed stage, and the numbers have risen in the recent past across the industry, but typically a seed stage deal might be looking at somewhere, oh, uh, used to be they used to say 50 to 150,000, but those numbers have gone up. So let's just say that uh, many seed stage companies getting their legs under them after they've tapped out their friends and family, right? They're looking to maybe raise up to a million, half a million, a million dollars. That's a that's a good size deal for an angel investment investment group or collection of angels. And sure. then the next time they look for money, maybe 18 to 24 months later, if their company grows, they're probably going to look for at least three times that. Right. So in that three to five million range, that's what we call a seed stage or a, a, rather a series A deal. And usually a venture capital fund will, will lead that. They can write a check for probably a, a third of that amount. And we'll co-invest alongside them on that. As a as one of the minority investors, you know the smaller partners, uh, but we like to we like to ride along to to preserve our investment in the company, keep from being diluted. So we do participate at Series A, and we've even participated a little bit in some Series Bs. How do you educate investors in this? Like I was just thinking, in the Series A thing, it's going to open up, right? Let's just be honest. There's some bias in this country regarding right. Appalachia. You know, so a lot of these people might be coming in from New York or somewhere oh, else sure. yeah. with that bias. And I, I wonder if you guys have thought that through, like, 
almost a handbook for how to for how freaking great Appalachia is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I'm not sure I want to advertise that. By the way, that's right. <laughs> it, uh, it opens the floodgates, and you start getting people moving in that you're, you might not want as your neighbors, right? And so, right. no, um, we everybody recognizes that there are regional biases. You know, people on the West Coast hold it against people on the East Coast. People at the East Coast hold it against the Midwesterners. You know, I mean, you get you get this, right? Yeah. But yeah. But you're right. Appalachia in particular, um, you know, many people grew up seeing those black and white photographs in Life magazine in the 60s, you know, of the people in dirt huts and, and shoeless kids. And, uh, and and I'm I'm not saying that poverty doesn't exist here. It does. Certainly. I can take you and I don't have to take you. You you know where to find it. You can find poverty uh, in Appalachia. And, and some of that is perhaps well beyond what I'm going to be able to work on or, or our investors are going to be able to work on in our lifetimes. But um, what we can work on and are working on are deals that may repurpose that abandoned strip mall or that shopping center that used to be the heart of town that after, you know, the coal plant closed, that uh, moved, you know, things moved on. That's, that's really where we're trying to work. And, um, you know, is there a bias against us? Uh, not locally. <laughs> people would For love sure to not. see. Yeah. People love to see that business park fill out, or yeah. and that's the people that that's really our audience. That's who we care about. But your point, you know, is your practical point is okay. So let's say we can get the money together locally or regionally to do something to 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 put a new uh, high tech manufacturing startup in a industrial park in a small town in Appalachia. We have and we and we can do that. But sooner or later, they're likely to need more capital. And, and that's where connections that we have with those other money centers and those other markets come into play. And we do have connections. I, I've got, you know, sitting on my computer this afternoon, a, a deal that just got shared from, from New York City for, to me. And, and the reason uh, that we got to look at this deal, it, it actually is a little smaller than the, than the investment bank in New York typically will handle but we introduced that investment bank a couple of years ago to a promising entrepreneur and a company that they wrote alongside us on and their investors did well. And so now they're handling another deal featuring one of the same entrepreneurs. So they reciprocated and, and uh, wanted us to be part of that deal with them. So, you know, we, we have connections with outside money and, and we make uh, use of them and leverage them as appropriate to bring that capital to our companies. The thing that's really important to us, though, and that we, we would like to see is as many of our companies that start here stay here as possible. Right. We, we're Absolutely. Not looking to create extractive business models. Sometimes it happens that a company has to, on its, you know, when it sells or whatever, has to go somewhere else. We get that. But hopefully the money that we've created and the value we've created locally will, will stay here locally and, and maybe, as I just explained, seed a new company, right? So. What does the future of Appalachia look like? How do you see, because I mean, what you're talking about is highly transformative. It's, your focus seems just from your website to be uh, much driven by uh, technology, right? Well, it is. So the, the future is, is I'll, I'll pick up on that. The, the future is, is obviously technology, but we're not interested in funding a bunch of software companies that are just pump and dump opportunities, right? So 
Um, oh right, because they flip them so fast. See, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see a lot of you see a lot of investment going into software deals in companies that are not and will never be profitable, but are just being grown or, or made to acquire, and then somebody else, uh, you know, tries to pump them up. That that's not our market. That's not those aren't the entrepreneurs we're looking for. That's not the deals we're looking for. We're looking for oftentimes for companies that are making things that you can drop and they go thud, right? You know, I, I want advanced manufacturing. I want advanced material science happening here. I want medical devices made here. I want green tech and advanced transportation technologies. And by the way, as you know, Steve, but some of our audience may not, all those industries I just mentioned, like the chemical sector and the, and the medical sector, They've all had roots for a long time in Appalachia. So oh, yeah. go over to West Virginia and see how much chemical industry work there's been. It grew up around the around the resource industry, the coal industry, you know, the but um but yeah, advanced manufacturing, material science. Uh we have world-class material science projects going on yeah. at the Department of Energy labs here at, just outside Knoxville, where I live, right? And uh one of our companies that came out from that place or that area uh, is doing amazing work manufacturing some of the first commercial scale and commercially viable or, or cost available graphene. Oh, wow. You know, advanced materials. So that that's, that's happening here and that's the future for our region, but the future is also the main street business, right? Yes. We're not going to be entirely a high tech economy and, and we probably don't really want to be. We want to be a blended economy where you've got good, solid, cash-flowing small businesses run by competent entre- entrepreneurs providing you know, goods and services that people need, average people. And then you've got the high-tech things alongside them that are selling to the entire world. And, and that's the kind of blended economy that we're trying to promote here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love small towns. I mean, I love downtown small towns. Uh, I get sad when I drive through a place and, and see that the downtown is all boarded up. I get super excited when I when I see uh, some of the downtowns coming back. And we've got some nice downtowns that are coming back, including here where I live in Knoxville. Downtown has come That's back great. very nicely. Nice restaurant, entertainment district down there, shopping district. Uh, love it. So um, we were fortunate that we didn't knock down all the old brownstone buildings in my town here. We uh, We left them in place and now they've been reused and repurposed and they're looking good. How much training goes on with your company to these entrepreneurs? We spend a lot of time training entrepreneurs uh, in one way or another. I think every time we do an evaluation on a deal, right? if an entrepreneur comes to us thinking they're going to do a quick Shark Tank style pitch, get a thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs down and go home, they, they usually are surprised. Um, we we're impact investors, right? We want to see, we want to see everybody succeed. Now, not everybody is going to get the deal, but oftentimes as part of the constructive criticism that an entrepreneur gets while they're working with us, um, we'll either, you know, provide them with what you might call mentoring or coaching, not so much coaching them as to how to convince our investors to fund them, but coaching them as to how to make their business a better business so that they can get funded. If not by us, We'll, we'll try to refer them to maybe an investment group that, that works with something closer to what they're doing. And, you know, if, if somebody's got a long lead time medical technology and it doesn't quite fit with what we do, well, we know medical specialty investors, right? We might, we might put them off toward them. But uh, bottom line is we, we want people to succeed. And then 
because as I said, there's an outreach component now going on with us. We, we've actually been, we've been contracted by some economic development activities, such as the West Virginia technology-oriented economic development activity, uh, TechConnect West Virginia, and some of their partners to, to work with entrepreneurs um, to, oh, to, that's great. to get them actually ready to invest. So, you know, a couple examples, there's a group in West Virginia called the Innova Commercialization Group, another group called West Virginia Jobs Investment Trust Board. Those are two funds that work at the seed stage, you know, same stage we, we work at. And the state of West Virginia has chartered them to, you know, to work on economic development in West Virginia. But we're, we're business partners with them in that if they've got a case that they would like to, to evaluate, but the entrepreneur perhaps isn't quite ready to, to make the real pitch, right? Um, we go ahead and do what we call a red team exercise on those entrepreneurs it's one of our service offerings. And uh, Red Team is a kind of aggressive mock due diligence exercise. We'll, we'll go to the entrepreneur. You know, obviously, the entrepreneur knows we're, knows we're working with them. Uh, you know, they, they don't have to work with us, but we're, we're invited to work with the entrepreneur by these economic development activities to make the entrepreneur better and to understand what the experience of going through real venture-style investor due diligence is going to be. So we got the idea red team right from from the Top Gun experience. You know, I, I was a Navy pilot. Um, oh, flight schools, where, flight yeah. schools, where you learn to be a pilot. We're not teaching people how to run a business. Fighter school or Top Gun is where you learn how to be a fighter pilot. So we're right. we're taking people that should know how to run a business, and we're giving them that shakedown, so that when they actually go to pitch for real, they should be much more confident. They should have found the holes in their business with our help found the holes in their presentation, found the holes in their business model and their pro forma, fixed all those to the best of their ability, and then go forward for the real funding pitch with an investment group and hopefully score the, you know, score the win. So tell me your favorite case study. I see three on your website. Oh, we've got, we've got a lot of, I'll tell you a couple of them that, that, are, that are fun for us right now. We've got a, and I'll, I'll plug a couple of these companies. We, we've got a, uh, We've got a, a company in a little town in of 900 people in middle of Pennsylvania, right? And that company is called Gilson Snow. They're a snowboard company started by two high school STEM teachers. One guy was a lifelong, young guys, one guy was a lifelong board sports enthusiast, whether it was snowboarding, skateboarding, you know, surfing. He, he actually at an early age kind of made his own surfboard. And um, he got the bug to make a snowboard or make snowboards um, and, and, and created a snowboard company that uh, you can go online, look at Gilson Snow and, and see they do custom graphics. You can have, you can have your, your own personal artwork put on there. You can have local, local artists that they contract with, put unique art on it. Their snowboards are, uh, you know, well-designed, well-tested, and they're killing it. They're just a, they're a great little company. That's awesome. Um, yeah, started by high school middle or excuse me middle school STEM teachers. Um, <laughs> That's great. So, That's just great. Yeah. Now another another company that um, that we uh, were very fond of is uh, a restaurant, right? Who who, st- who starts a restaurant in the middle of COVID, right? So uh, <laughs> we, we we've got uh, an entrepreneur who is in Ashland, Kentucky, who opened a uh, 
a steak and seafood bourbon theme restaurant there called uh, the Winchester, mm. right? And uh, doing very well. Now that's not high tech, right? But they employ like eighty people, right? So it's a it's a good, you know, local as I said, Main Street business. Yeah. And then as COVID hit, they were opening up their second restaurant location uh, just outside West Virginia University. Um, but they're still, they're still doing well they, they, uh, Even COVID didn't slow them down. So good, good main street business, quality food and uh, lots of fun. So, um, that's a different type of business from technology. And I'll give you a third case. Uh, I mentioned earlier graphene. We, we have a company here, uh, in Knoxville that got its legs under it, um, based on some technology that they created and that they licensed from, uh, Oak Ridge national lab to make monolayer or single layer and then multi-layer graphene. Um, graphene, for those that don't know, is a, a wonder material. It, it's, a, it's a form of carbon that molecularly, if you looked at it under an electron microscope, it's only one atom thick. Wow. And it looks like, ch- and it looks like chicken wire, but it, it's uh, some of the strongest material, if not the strongest material or structure on earth. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing you'll read if you go on the internet and look up graphene is that a, a sheet of graphene as thick as saran wrap could hold up an elephant. That, that's that's pretty cow. amazing. But it has all sorts of other remarkable qualities, including thermal and electrical conduct, uh, conductance qualities that make it perhaps the next big thing in material science. And when I mean that, I mean the next big thing like aluminum was a big thing to the aviation industry. I mean, we wouldn't have the aviation industry if aluminum hadn't come along. Uh, or when you, uh, when you said how strong it is and how thin it must, I thought it must be light. It's perfect for the airline industry. It's like yeah. a clear sheet. You have to, yeah, it's, it's almost like the emperor's new clothes. You have to believe you're looking at something when you're looking at a sample of it. <laughs> and here, but, uh, but it's there and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's neat stuff. And it's being, uh, being created here, right? In Appalachia, right? So, um, That's awesome. Brand new material science. What else is important in this world that you're in for these folks? I think optimism, hope, uh, right? You know, yeah. I think, uh, as you alluded to, part of the bias against Appalachia, and, and I mentioned those old photographs uh, and some new photographs probably too, but uh, shows hopelessness, despair. We certainly don't ignore some of the problems. We all know about the opioid crisis. Yes. We all know about the coal, the impact of the loss of coal jobs and, and, the, and the decline of the coal industry. Uh, you know, when, when a middle-aged coal miner who's making $80,000 a year in a small town in Appalachia gets laid off, uh, there are not a lot of other opportunities for that person to make that kind of money in other work. So that's a, that's a big blow. And, we, you know, we're saddened by it every time it happens. So uh, that leads to things like sometimes like marital problems, substance abuse, you know, all the, all the litany of things that we don't want. Oh, yeah. And so a big part of our work is to, is to we hope, you know, and right, funding startup companies can be on an economic development scale, like a drop in the bucket, right? It's not like having an Amazon distribution plant move in, you know, or mm-hmm. a distribution center move in in terms of job creation. But it, but it, uh, it does create jobs, and it does create value, and it does uh, add hope to this blended economy. So we're we're keen to add hope. And like we said in the opening, this is a community of people with grit and determination. 
Yeah. And ingenuity. So I'm sure they will overcome this. It sounds to me like you guys are going to be a part of it. Well, we want to be. You know, we we want to. We're 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 in this for the long run. So, uh, uh, and we love the region. I love the region. It's uh, it, great people, great place. One of the prettiest. Pl- Again, don't tell the rest of the world. This is some of the prettiest country <laughs> on earth. <laughs> and I, as a guy who spent 20 years in the Navy, I've seen a lot of the earth. So, uh, uh, I'm I'm you know, it's it's a beautiful place. Well, it is a podcast, so it's going to be out there. But uh, we'll tell everybody, just keep it on the down low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to learn more about Scott and Appalachian Investors, go to AppalachianInvestors.org. Scott, this has been a really interesting and heartwarming for me podcast. And it gives me hope for, for my little town and others down there, which I'm, you know, sooner or later might retire back to. Who knows? There you go. <laughs> Thanks for this. Great, great podcast. Thank you. Stay in touch. We'll, uh, we'll do it again, I hope. We'll do. This has been a Trouble Group podcast. Learn more about us at troublegroup.com. If you're a troublemaker and want to be on the podcast, email us at steve at troublegroup.com. Mm-hmm.